Um, So reading from 1 Samuel chapter 7, which can be found on page 277 in the Blue Church Bibles. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, twenty years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bowls and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel and Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as a leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because, because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns of Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Well... You're in for a treat tonight because it's a double celebration. It's a celebration of the fact that it's our 20th birthday as a church and also uh, a celebration of lots of returning students, lots of new students arrived in Birmingham and you have cake and a banquet and everything, a double celebration. And in the knowledge that we were trying to sort of uh, look at, it sort of hit these two moving targets at the same time, I thought, well, what could I preach on? What might be good for us as we think about it? Uh, they're together this evening. I don't know whether your mind would have turned to 1 Samuel chapter 7. I don't know. Maybe you're thinking, what on earth is all that about? But we'll see together. Should we ask God's help and let's look and see what we learn as a church, as individuals, as we come to this together. Father in heaven, thank you that 
you tell us that everything that has been written in the past has been written to teach us, uh, to give us hope, to give us endurance, to help us on in the Christian life. And we ask by your spirit, you would open your eyes and enable us to see what your word has to say to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I think we learn from this passage, if you want the, the good news up front, is this. If you want to live well for Jesus, you've got to learn to remember the past. If you want to live well for Jesus, you have to hold on to the past. You have to remember it. And you, sometimes we have to learn to remember it. Being thankful for the past is crucial to keeping going in the future. That's what Israel are learning in this passage. That's why this man, Samuel, sets up this massive boulder. Um, I don't know whether he lifted it himself or got a team together, but he sets a boulder and he calls it Ebenezer. And he says, thus far, the Lord has helped us. This is a marker in the sand. This is a sign that God is a God who comes to the aid of his people. And I'm putting it in the ground so that I never forget this day. That's what 1 Samuel is helping us to see in the Bible. Being thankful for the past, as you look back, is crucial to keeping going in the future. You recognize the character of God. You see what he's done. And you say, well, if that God is for me, and if that God is willing to do that for me, I can trust him with what I can't see in my today and my tomorrow. And that's true for a church. As we look back over 20 years, we're saying, thus far, the Lord has helped us. But it's not just true for a church, it's true for us as individuals. You see, what gives you strength in the Christian life, what gives you hope for the future, is remembering God's goodness and his mercy to you in the past. Look, as Christians, we don't live in the past, but we do look back to the past. In fact, Jesus instructed us, commanded us to look back to the past. Do you remember when he took that bread and that wine of the Lord's Supper, celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples? And he said, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Hold on to what you know is true. Let me give you a sign, the bread and the wine that you might never forget. We don't live in the past, but we look to the past to help us keep going in the future. There are some things, you know, that are so important, you must never forget them. Are there events that, that have happened in your life that you think, I never, ever want to forget that? Look, I'm a very proud Welshman, and my friend who's English decided there was an event he never wanted me to forget. So he bought me this. And this is a picture of uh, Johnny Wilkinson <laughs> winning a World Cup for England. And he, he's got a great sense of humor. He didn't just want me to have one picture of Johnny Wilkinson. <laughs> he thought, why don't I give him six pictures? And it has pride of place in my loft. Uh, where, no, where no one can see it. And, I'm, and I'll bring it out if he ever comes to visit. But he lives in America now, so that's not very often. There you go. But you can have a look at it. You can have a look at it. Six pictures of Johnny Wilkinson. Why? He doesn't want me to forget that England have won a World Cup in rugby. Well, what are the things you don't want to forget? What are the things that have happened in your life? What are the markers? What are the boulders? What is it about your Christian life? Maybe you can remember the day you became a Christian. You know the date and the time and the year. Or your baptism. Can you remember the day you were baptized? Or the day a member of your family came to faith? I don't know what it might be. Memory 
keeps gratitude fresh. We remember so that we think, God has been good to me. And when gratitude is fresh in our hearts, gratitude keeps faith faithful. Yeah, if that is my God, I'm okay to trust him for tomorrow. Here's Samuel, 1, chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 7, page 277. It's the story of, man going to, story of a man going to great lengths not to forget God's undeserved mercies. And he's putting that stone, not just that he might remember it, but that the whole nation would remember it. He doesn't put the note in a diary. He puts a boulder in the ground, the stone that marks God's help. So as a church, we're going to celebrate 20 years. In many ways, good things have happened, and we need to remember that all of it depends upon a God who has shown us mercy. We don't live in the past, but we hold on to the past because it will shape our futures. If you forget what God has done for you, gratitude will fade, faith will wither, and I wonder where you'll be a year, two years, five years from now. Remembering who God is, what he has done for us, is not just a good idea, it's an idea commanded in the Bible. God says repeatedly, all the way through the Bible, remember, remember, remember. Not least Jesus on that night with his disciples. So page 277, we've turned the clock back to about 1050 BC. So we're talking 3000 years ago. This is a story for us. Israel, God's people, they're in the promised land, they're in Israel. But in their hearts, they're a long, long way from God. Spiritually, they're in a bit of a mess. They've lost their way. And as a result, God has handed them over to their enemies, the Philistines. God has allowed the Philistines to come in and overpower and overwhelm them. Even the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolizes God's presence, the symbol of God's presence, that has left the tabernacle carried off into exile by the Philistines. It's a sign of of God and his people being out of relationship. And as we read chapter 7 and verse 1, the Ark of the Covenant is still not back home. For 20 years, it sits in a village on the edge of the land of Israel. This broken relationship with God is symbolized by God's footstool, the Ark of the Covenant, being miles and miles away from the tabernacle. But... There's hope. Do you see that verse 2? There's hope. Do you see verse 2? Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. When everything else had failed them. When their lives were in a mess, when they were overwhelmed and overpowered by their enemies, then they remembered the Lord and they turned back to him. Returning to the Lord. That's my first point this evening. What their leader Samuel says to them in verse 3 is striking, isn't it? Um, He really tells us in one sentence the story of the whole Bible. If you want to be sure you know what Christianity is, if you want to be sure you know how you can be in a right relationship with God, 1 Samuel chapter 7 verse 3 is it in a single sentence. It, It answers a vital question for every one of us. When I first came away to university, I was not a Christian. I kind of thought I might be, but I could never tell you why Good Friday was a Good Friday. I didn't have an understanding of the gospel, but I started to go to church and discovered there these kind of statements, 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 3. It helped me to have a right relationship with God. 
And Samuel is offering hope to a hopeless people who've realized maybe I'm not right with God. Maybe we are very, very far away. It's what we might call the gospel, the good news of the gospel in the words of an Old Testament prophet. And here it is. For any of us who need to know it, to be sure of it this evening. In chapter 7 and verse 3, we find that God is a merciful God to all who genuinely seek him again. Do you see that? He says, Samuel said to all the Israelites, chapter 7 and verse 3, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of your foreign gods and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord, serve him only, and he will deliver you from your enemies. If, if you will turn to him and you will get rid of the other gods and you will serve him alone, he will rescue you and deliver you from your enemies. In Zechariah, another Old Testament prophet, chapter 1 and verse 3, it says this, it says, return to me and I will return to you. You see, no one, but no one is too far from God that they can't return to him. Think of the stories of the prodigal prodigal son that, that Jesus told. Think of the thief on the cross who cried out for mercy almost with his dying breath and Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. No one's too far. Return to me and I will return to you. And so Samuel says, is it real? Do you want a relationship with me, the living God? Um, Because if you do, if you're returning to me with all your heart, you're going to need to put aside your idols. That's what Samuel says to him. Well, what does it mean to return? Well, it's much, much more than being sorry for making a bit of a mess of things. A friend of mine had uh, real trouble with his neighbors. Uh, One night um, at about 1 a.m., the loud music kicked off again. So he said um, he, he went to their door and he banged on the door of his neighbors and someone came to the door and they just said, okay, okay, I'll, t- I'll turn it down because it wasn't the first time he'd been. And he said this to them. He said, I don't want you to turn it down. I want you to turn it off. And uh, he said it with a look of, he says, menace in his face. Um, he's, not, uh, he's not a particularly spiteful man. He's, he's not a scary man, but he was clearly... Uh, really hacked off by this and the guy just said to him look I'm really sorry and he replied I don't want you to be sorry I want you to change I I need you to stop putting your music on at 1am in the morning I don't whether you're sorry about it or not is not the issue is it? I just need you to stop doing that and so repentance this idea of recommitting turning ourselves to the Lord is not just a matter of saying Lord I'm really sorry that I'm not living your way, that I'm not putting you first in my life. It, it has to be more than that. God says to us, it's not enough to be sorry. I need you to change. I need to be first in your life. Turn with all your heart to me. And that means giving up your gods. And that's the challenge that Samuel gives to them. You see, they've been playing at worshipping a whole bunch of different deities. And so we have this God called Baal and this Ashtoreth and and so on. And two things you need to know about idols, if you're curious about these things, is that these idols were very trendy, they were very fashionable, and they were very sexy. 
And I mean sexy in a literal sense because the Canaanites believed that Baal was a fertility god. And the way in which you knew the crops were going to grow, the way in which you knew life was going to be okay, is if Baal, the male deity, and Ashtoreth, the female deity, in the spiritual realms had sex. And if you wanted to encourage Baal and Ashtoreth to have sex in the spiritual realm, the way, you could do t- the way you could encourage them that is if you had sex with temple prostitutes in the earthly realm. So basically, the worship of God and the worship of sex came together in the worship of Baal. And that's got a certain level of appeal, hasn't it? To say, actually, do you know what the answer is to success in life? Have lots of sex. I think that sounds like a very contemporary idol, don't you? Sounds exactly like what most of my friends would say to me. This is how one Guardian newspaper put it. There's no point being coy about this, Decker Aitken had said. Nobody else has been. Your friend has savoured endless speculation on the subject. Your father has mumbled about condoms. Even you, dare I say it, have given it some thought in the awestruck words of your younger brother. Wow, you're going to have so much sex. And Aitkenhead goes on, enough of this moralising. Sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want, but do it carefully. And that's the message of our age, isn't it? You want to be successful? You want to be happy in life? Worship the God of sex. It's exactly the trap that these Israelites had fallen into. They worshipped the Baal. They worshipped the Ashtoreth. Because the Canaanites said, this is the way to make sure your crops will grow. This is the way to make sure you'll be successful. And who wouldn't be tempted? An Israelite had fallen for this lie to worship pleasure and sex. And you and I might find ourselves, even as we start out at university or into a new job or whatever phase of life we're in, just thinking, I wonder whether I'm missing out. I wonder whether I'm worshipping the right God. Maybe Baal is where it's at. But of course, look where it had got Israel. Into a total mess. Their gods had failed them. They were enslaved to the Philistines. The film director Tom Ford put it this way. He said, life can be an endless, unfulfilling quest for some sort of happiness that is elusive. Because the whole concept of happiness, as peddled by our culture, doesn't exist. He's basically saying our gods are failing us. Nobody lives, ever ha- nobody lives happily ever after. If you buy this and do that and build this house, you're not going to be happy. But that's not what we're taught. That's not what our culture pounds into our heads. When God begins to stir in our hearts, one of the first things he says to you is you need to give up your gods and worship him alone. And that is good for us because those gods that are idols will just fail us and enslave us and take us far from God and any good that could come from him. So turn with your heart, give up your gods and serve him alone, Samuel says, verse 3. Serve him alone. Put God first in how you use your body, how you use your time, how you use your money, how you use your mind. And maybe for some of those things, you're thinking, I'm not sure I have answers to how do I serve God with my work and with my leisure time, with my money. And that's where things like Student Plus, if you're a student, are so helpful. Because that's where you're going to dig deeper into God's word and think, what does it mean to live for Jesus? as a student and what are the idols of our age and our time and how do I make my stand and how do I do that in a way that's attractive to my friends 
And you can sit and think and work these things through together as you seek to serve him alone. And God's promise is, if you do that, Samuel says, he will deliver you. You can draw near to me, and I will draw near to you, says God. And so, verse 4, the Israelites did put away their bars, and they did put away their asterisks, and they served the Lord alone. I wonder whether you're persuaded it's worth putting aside all of those other gods for Jesus, to say, you alone are my Lord. You are my one true hope. I will live for you. Um, We've got Johnny Wilkinson down there. In that same World Cup final was another rugby player um, uh, by the name of Jason Robinson. He played on the wing, and he scored England's only try in the match. See, I don't even support England. I'm telling you how good England are. He found faith as a Christian before that match, actually. And he said, I changed about five years ago. Before, I was naive, immature, sucked into all that surrounds the game, the drinking, the clubbing, the nice cars. I was brought up to think that if you had money, you won't have problems. But I found the more I got, the more problems I got. And it reached a stage where I didn't want to live like that anymore. I discovered that it didn't matter what car I had, because I was always chasing another, or what relationship I was in, because I always wanted something else. I realized that was shallow, and there was no fulfillment in that way of life. His gods were failing him. He then said, I found peace and fulfillment in my faith. I don't have to chase those things anymore. I have Jesus. That's enough for me. I'm putting away those other gods, and I'm serving him alone. Return to me. And when we do return to Jesus, and when we do determine to live for him, we experience the liberation and salvation that he brings. Just as the Israelites did, they were restored to him when he defeated their enemies. You see, we can know that that God really is ready to draw near to us. He really will forgive and forget our sin when we are sincere in coming to him. And we know that because time and again in history, we've seen that God doesn't merely say, I will draw near to you, but he intervenes to save us. So Samuel tells Israel to gather, the Israelites assemble at his instruction. And he says, verse 5, I will intercede with the Lord for you. And so Samuel is now on their side, and he's going to plead with God for them. Maybe you wonder whether God is really ready to listen to you. What what chance, you say, have I got of living for Jesus if it's all up for me, all up to me? I wonder whether you think you're on your own when you head off into work or onto university or into school or whatever else it might be. And you think it's so hard to live for God all on my own. Perhaps you've seen that even arriving at university and the flatmates that that you have, your course mates, and you think, I don't know how to make my stand in this environment. Well, Samuel's already ready to intercede for them. And then we discover what the Israelites discover, that their enemies are ready for a battle. End of verse 7. They were afraid because of the Philistines. The Philistines knew that the Israelites had assembled before Samuel And the Philistines think, this is our chance to attack. And they said to Samuel, do not stop crying to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us. So Samuel is praying, and they ask Samuel to keep praying for them. And the wonderful truth that this points us to is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ 
actually not merely encourages us in the battle, but steps in to secure the victory. He fights our battles as well as forgiving our sins. God hasn't left you alone. He's raised up a rescuer for you called Jesus. And Jesus hasn't stopped praying for you either. He's interceding for you every day. When you go into that workplace, into that hospital, into that university. And in Israel's hour of need, Samuel's response was to sacrifice to the Lord, verse 8, on Israel's behalf. Here is Israel's rescuer, Samuel, ready to intercede for the people who are returning to God and ready to sacrifice for them as well. And he's just a little Old Testament picture of all that Jesus was willing to do for you and is willing to do for you. Because Jesus made a sacrifice for you too, didn't he, to defeat your enemies. When he went to the cross, he didn't sacrifice a lamb, he sacrificed himself that your every enemy might be defeated by his supreme power. We are safe with Jesus. God doesn't merely forgive our sins. God fights our battles in and through Jesus, who lives for us and intercedes for us, who sacrificed for us and died for us. And if we stay close to Jesus, just as Israel was sticking close to Samuel, they could be sure that God would rescue him. That's the true secret of keeping going in the Christian life. We, we rely on the prayers of another and on the sacrifice of another for us. So the Philistines attack, verse 10. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Car. Well, I don't know quite what happened. Obviously, there was some kind of storm, and maybe these uh, superstitious pagan Philistines heard it thunder and thought the gods are against us, and in their confusion, they fled. And Israel used that to attack and defeat the Philistines. But it was God who won the battle for them. He made it thunder. He turned them to confusion and chaos and to panic and secured the victory for them. And then Samuel takes this moment when Israel's enemies are defeated. After they'd repented, now that they're restored, he takes this opportunity, verse 12, to get the stone and to put it in the ground between Mizpah and Shen. And he names it Ebenezer, verse 12, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Samuel said, we must never lose sight of what God has done for us today. He has forgiven our sins. And he has fought our enemies and defeated them for us. And we are safe with him. Let us stick with God. And this stone is that sign of God's mercy towards us. See, it really is amazing what you can forget. According to the London Underground, we managed to leave behind on average 1,200 items on the Tube Network all around London every day. In one year, I think it was 2017, that amounted to 13,000 keys, 34,322 mobile phones, 46,318 bags, 
over 10,000 umbrellas. It's possible to forget things, isn't it? I love this true story about a man who, with his wife, pulled in at a service station on the M40 in Oxfordshire. They visited the Loos. He got back into the car and he started driving off. He'd forgotten his wife. She came out of the loos. The car wasn't there. Thought, thought the best of him and phoned the police and said, I think my husband's been kidnapped. <laughs> so the police are looking for the car and they found him on the hard shoulder about 30 miles after the service station, not quite being sure what to do with himself, but realizing he made a big mistake. And the police officer said to him, when did you realize that your wife wasn't there? He said, well, when I asked my wife to pass me a toffee, (laughs) and uh, when there was no reply, I realized something was wrong. (laughs) It's human nature to forget. It's human nature to forget even the most important things. It's possible for you to forget all that God has done for you. It's possible for a church to forget that we depend upon God's mercies, that we wouldn't even be here if God were not a gracious and forgiving God. It's possible to forget unless you choose to remember. And Samuel said, I choose to remember and I'm putting this stone in the ground so that we can remember together. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. He's building a memorial. I've got a friend who's tattooed onto his forearm, Soli Deo Gloria, to the grace of God alone. He doesn't want to forget his God. So he's gone to the extent of tattooing it on his skin. I don't know what memorials you need. I don't know what markers you need to make sure that you never forget your God and how great he is. And you need to remember because you need to know, well, if God has helped me this far, I'm okay with tomorrow, even though I can't see what it will bring. If the Lord has helped us down the generations, I think the church will secure in his hands for the next 20 years or 40 years or 60 years. You see, this victory in Israel is really just one in a long line of God intervening to rescue his people. And Samuel isn't the first to put stones there, to mark the place where God has come to the rescue. You find in the book of Joshua, you find others building altars, It's God's people saying, we must never forget. You see, whether you choose to remember and what you choose to remember about God will define your today and your tomorrow. For you as an individual and for us as a church. And so we need to remember what God has done for us. It's designed to keep us going. And so a 20th anniversary celebration earlier today, we were looking back and hearing stories over lunch of God's undeserved mercy, and we get a chance to look forward with renewed vision and commitment, and we say thus far as a way of saying God has never let us down this far, and he won't let me down, he won't let us down tomorrow. See, there are times when we need to stop and remember. Maybe you just need to pause for a moment and think, is there a moment when the Lord stepped into my life in a significant way that I I think I maybe have just lost sight of, a significant way? Was there a time of sickness where the Lord strengthened you? Was there a time of sadness when the Lord comforted you? A time of testing when the Lord kept you from falling? A time of adversity 
when he defeated the enemies of your soul. I don't know what it was. It could be a small thing. It could be a big thing. Hold on to it. If you need to, tattoo it on your arm, but stick a rock in the ground, whatever it takes, that you mustn't forget how good God is. Remember those times. Because in the future, you need to be able to look back on them. And that's what will keep you going in tomorrow. Sooner or later, there'll be a dark season of the soul and you might feel like giving up and then you spot the stone. And you say, thus far the Lord has helped me. That's what we need to remember. And of course, the stone that we have supremely is actually not a stone, it's made of wood, isn't it? The place where we go to to remember is the cross of Jesus Christ. How do I know that God is for me? How can I trust God with my today and tomorrow? I begin each day at the foot of the cross and I say, I remember even when I was still God's enemy, he loved me. And I get up and I say, I'm going to live for you. And out into the day I go. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And we need to do that too. Let's pray. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Thank you, Father in heaven, that by gathering this evening, we have been caused to remember your mercy to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that, at least for today, we can't forget what we know. But we also understand that we are forgetful people. And maybe we need each other more than we realize. Maybe we need to look back and remember those times. Help us to live each day at the foot of the cross that we will think you are a God who is for me. And in you I have everything. And may we remember not just today and tomorrow and next year, but as a church and people remember the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.